Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Good afternoon. Welcome to SOGCAST number four. And today we are honored to have with us Marcus Witt, who ran Recon and Hatchet Force. And he was with Command and Control South. And uh, we are honored to have Marcus join us today. Marcus, welcome to the show. Well, I'm glad to be here. And let me correct you. You did. I, I, I on was the Recon. Ha- hatchet Force. Oh, you're one of them. Yeah. <laughs> and so for. I wasn't f- a brave soul like you were, Bill. I was. <laughs> Just young I'm and just dumb. a commoner. Yeah, there we go. And so for our first-time viewers, SOGcasts are interviews with uh, men who served in SOG during this eight-year secret war. And it had the highest casualty rate during the war. Of course, we didn't learn that till after the yes, war, far not. after the war. But uh, we ran missions across the fence in Cambodia, Laos, and some into North Vietnam. And the missions varied from... Uh, bomb damage assessments to wiretaps, prisoner of war snatches, picking up enemy soldiers because they're good intel. And today we've invited Marcus because he's another member who served in SOG. And uh, so Marcus, let's just start off with how you're introduced to SOG because I thought when you landed in Vietnam, you had orders to go to a traditional A camp. And just for, again, for our listening and viewing audience um when uh, during the vietnam war we had many a teams which were the 12-man green beret a team and they would have different camps many along the border to in an effort to monitor enemy troops coming in to deal with local activities in the country and there were i don't know over a hundred at one time during the peak of the war in vietnam and the secret war ran from 1964 to 1972 so you landed in Saigon, or, or was uh, it Cameron, Cameron Bay? Yeah, Cameron Bay is where I came in. Uh, I had actually come from. Um, oh, I almost lost my mind. I actually came <laughs> from First Group on Oki. Was that right? Uh, I was assigned to First Group out of Training Group, uh, and uh, went into uh, Okinawa to First Group B Company. Uh, was actually assigned to the Halo team, although I never got the Halo. But the halo. Uh, uh, huh? Oh, I guess I need to say that, don't I? High <laughs> altitude, go. low opening. There we go. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I, I uh, w- did a lot of parachute packing, learned how to, to, to pack the chutes. Uh, do a, did a lot of jumping, but didn't do any actual uh, halo other than a, a, the, a couple of practice kind of things. But uh, wasn't official. Right. Uh, so uh, I, I did that for about seven months. Oddly enough... One of the first assignments that I was myself, and uh, there were three radio operators that came out of Bragg uh, altogether, myself, uh, uh, Michael uh, Thomas, uh, uh, excuse me, Thomas Michaels, and uh, uh, Mike Blackwell. Uh, all three of us came out of train group, went to first group, and were assigned. I don't think uh, Mike was in B Company, but anyway, we were all signed uh, together. And one of our first training missions with uh, – first group was learn how to be bus drivers 
Uh, yeah, it was the craziest thing that uh, I had ever been a part of. But anyway, it was designed because of the hurricane season was coming about. And we were supposed to be able to pick up all the troops wherever we had them and and, uh, transfer uh, those folks to various locations. To high ground. Yeah, out of the hurricane. So anyway, uh, uh, after doing that, did get to do a couple of things. Uh, uh, Got to do the Taiwan mission, uh, short one, uh, got Taiwan wings, uh, and also Thai. Uh, So I was fortunate to do that. But then... uh, I just got tired of the uh, bureaucracy, I guess you could say. So Indeed. I volunteered for uh, NOM, uh, and uh, Mike and uh, uh, Michael Thomas eventually followed. Uh, I, I think I was the first one to go, but uh, I landed in Cameron Bay like anybody else. There was only two Green Berets on the plane that we were on, uh, myself and a staff sergeant. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, but he had run at CCN. Uh, and we got off the plane and were met by a, a sergeant major in a jeep. I don't know his name. I, I'll be honest with you up front. I'm I'm terrible on names. Don't I, worry about I, the names. The story's what counts. Uh, I don't I don't remember <laughs> remember folks' names real well. Uh, sometimes I forget my own. But uh, anyway, we were met on the <laughs> runway, and uh, uh, I had heard from this staff sergeant as we flew over the ocean about some of his exploits in SOG, and he said. Uh, uh, you know, you might not want to do that. And I said, well, I've got orders to go to, to an A-team, so I'm not going to worry about it at all. So, right, right. Uh, we uh, hit the tarmac, and Sergeant Major meets us and said, uh, where are you guys going? And uh, both of us said, well, we're assigned to whatever A-team he yeah. was going to and whatever A-team was us. He said, well, I've, I've got a choice. I've got you a, a deal for you. You have a choice. <laughs> we need people in SOG. And you can volunteer for SOG, or you're going to a leg unit. Your choice. Ooh, leg unit. Yeah, so I looked at this E6. I'm an E5. He's an E6. Yeah. And uh, I said, what do you think? You've been there. And he said, I ain't going to leg unit. And I said, well, I didn't want to go either. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so anyway, long story short, we, we volunteered. And I don't. he went on. I think he went back to CCN. Uh, I went to CCS uh, right. as a radio operator. And that was... The first assignment at CCS was in the talk as a radio so operator. So right there, let me just update sure. where we are, because in the early part of the secret war, there are six FOBs, one through six, and uh, FOB five was at uh, Bamituit, FOB six was Honuk Town. Okay. Then at the end of 68, they consolidated, and they they moved the personnel from FOB six to Bamituit, Contoon became so Bami to it then became CCS, CCS Command and Control South. Contoon became CCC Command and Control Central, and up north they pulled together FOB three and four and one, combined them at Da Nang, which had been FOB four. And so when you land, there were three major uh, bases, and each had launch sites. So right. you land there. And take it from there. Okay. So you get stuck in the combo bunker for a little while. Yeah, I get stuck in the combo bun- bunker. Uh, they were real short on radio. I mean, and, and I'll, I'll say this on my, my own, good radio op- operators. <laughs> uh, because we, you know, back then we were using one-time uh, CAC pads. We were using CW. And for our viewers, oh. this, if you explain what the one-time CAC oh, pad Oh, okay. Is. That was a uh, coated pad. It was, uh, oh, I don't know, half-inch thick. tissue thin pages uh and i can't remember i believe it was 30 groups of five letters each 
So there were, uh, if I remember right, it was 30. Does that sound right? Close enough for government work. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and um, you would encode these, and it was a pretty easy uh, uh, process once you learned uh, right. that BA equal Y. Uh, and, uh, anyway, uh, so you would use that, uh, in your daily OPSEC, uh, you would be given a certain, uh, page to use and that's the page you would use. And, uh, if you were compromised, then of course you wouldn't, you would, uh, they would do away with that entire book. But, right. uh, anyway, it's, uh, uh, we use the CAC pad to encode our, any messages, that was sent CW. And then people on the other end had the same code. That's they had they the same page it. that we did. Right. Yes. In fact, a number of us got good enough that we could, uh, put the co I mean, put the message across and, uh, actually record the, uh, message in, uh, I have to think about that a bit. We encrypted it and then decrypted it at the same time. Really? Yeah. Oh, I never yeah. got that good. Well, <laughs> Anyway, uh, so I got stuck in the talk for several months. Yeah. Uh, and then we, they, an operation went out uh, of first company. There were, there were two companies, as I remember. Sure. First company was Yards. Second company was Cambodians. And uh, I was assigned, myself and Ben Brown were assigned uh, to go on an ex uh, exercise, on a mission, <laughs> mission uh, that ran out of boot op. Uh, along the Cambodian border, and boot up was the launch site. I'm sorry, yes, yeah. boot up was a was the launch site. Sure, there was also a launch site at Quan Loi uh, that uh, uh, folks went out of. A lot of the the teams went out of. But this was uh, if if I don't I don't may not have the right time period, uh, but this was a situation where we actually first company was involved inserting three recon teams. In other words, we took a uh, mission that ran the border. Right. Uh, we were out 30 days, in fact. No kidding. And I, yeah. Uh, it was a long one. Uh, I'll tell you another <laughs> point about that long mission in a minute. But, uh, but anyway, Ben and I, Ben Brown and I split, and I would go uh, to boot up uh, and, uh, in their uh, combo bunker and, right. and take care of any uh, traffic that was coming in uh, with the teams uh, there. Uh, and then we would switch off. Uh, after about uh, a week, and and uh, Ben would come in, and I'd go back out. So sure. uh, we did that for for thirty days, and uh, uh, as we walked along, and there was predetermined uh, grids that the uh, recon teams would just leave the element and melt into the jungle. Uh, and uh, I we we I think it took four days to insert three teams, and that was their. Because that's, see, for me, even for me, that's a new technique that I hadn't heard. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So basically, even with estimated numbers, so you have three recon teams, would be six, eight-man teams? Yeah. And then your hatchet force would be how many other personnel on top Well, of you're looking at uh, probably, I'll say, 40. Wow. So that's a big insertion. There. Yeah. So you, well, all, it, you all get inserted at once by air? We came in, yeah, we came in on uh, Blackbirds, C-130s. Okay. Uh, so, and landed at uh, at the Budop Airstrip. Uh, on another time that we landed at the Budop Airstrip, sort of, I, I'll tell you that one later. But uh, uh, anyway, that was, a, it, I say unique, it, it, it was that we understood it was the first time it was done yeah. where we inserted teams uh, using the hatchet force. And I don't know whether it was ever done again, to be honest with you. I was never involved in one that did it, sure. but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah, because you're busy with your team. Yeah. Your hatchet so, force. Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, uh, anyway, that uh, uh, that was an interesting time, and w- so we get we get out. Uh, we I think we had about three, uh, if I remember correctly, three times in which we engaged the enemy. I don't remember how large enemy forces, but right. Uh, of course, I was because a over. large element like that, they they know you're coming. Oh, sure, yeah. It's, you can't do that many people quietly like you guys did. So uh, it was a, uh, it was still amazing to me how well trained the, the 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 original folks that were on the the hatchet force had done with with uh, the yards because uh, they did did a good job. They really knew. It. Yeah, yeah, they knew what they were doing, and they they knew to keep quiet. And there was you know. Uh, noise discipline was was kind of shocking when you got right down to it, but still, you have that many people, you're going to get noticed. Oh so, yeah, so uh, that uh, that was a, a different. And so we come back out of the field, uh, uh, d- successful mission. Uh, I don't remember uh, about. I don't remember what happened to the three teams. I mean, how successful yeah. or unsuccessful their mission was, but the insertions went well, and we didn't have any issues there. So we come back out, and I'm, you know, if you spend, you spend four weeks in the in the the jungle, and uh, uh, you're you're not very clean. Uh-oh. So we all want to get back and have a drink, a smoke, and yeah, and and take a shower. And I started to go in to that the order. Yeah, in that order. <laughs> uh, and so I started to head for the shower, and somebody came running over the talk, said the the colonel wants to see you. And I, I don't even met him, you know. It's yeah. not like we were good buddies or anything. And I, I thought, well, what in the hell have I done? Because I, well, anyway, long story short, somehow during that thirty days, probably near the end, my mother had contacted the Red Cross because she hadn't gotten a letter from me. <laughs> and he chewed me up one side and down the other for not writing my mother. And I explained to if I'd seen a post office in Cambodia, in Cambodia. I would have dropped the letter in for her. But, uh, <laughs> and you can't tell your mother why <laughs> no, you didn't write. No, <laughs> I couldn't. So that was a that was an interesting time. It was oh kind of funny. God. But uh, that's a first. I haven't heard that one. <laughs> the Colonel chewed your well, ass. Well, yeah. <laughs> Thanks to the Red Cross. Yeah, yeah uh, the big Red Cross. And your dear mom. Uh, yeah, well, that's... Uh, she oh, was so, a dear mom. She she was concerned about me. So. Yeah, yeah. So after you get your ass chewed, you get your shower, and then what's next? Well, uh, go back to the talk. Uh, then spent, uh, I probably did six or seven weeks at different times, maybe more on the radio relay site. We'd take uh, uh, usually about 10 yards, 10, 12 yards, uh, and usually two American radio operators. Uh, sometimes one. I did one one time was where I was the only guy, mm-hmm. uh, only American. Uh, and of course, we went up on the radio radio real site, which is a big tall hill uh, that was on west of Bami Tuat or west of CCS. Yeah, uh, between uh, CCS and the and the uh, Cambodian border, and you know communicate as best we could uh, with the all Fox Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Uh, uh, did that uh, a, a bunch of times. I, like I said, I don't remember exactly the number. And so they take you by helicopter? Did you have, they make no, you... we actually <clears throat> walked. You went through a yard village. Uh, it, it never made any sense to me either, but we actually walked from uh, the compound to the radio relay site. And I don't remember it. It was probably seven, eight, nine clicks. I don't yeah. remember exactly. But uh, I remember one night, uh, myself and Bill Davis, we were up on the hill and, and uh, 
basically what we did when we weren't communicating was we were rebuilding the the site you know right sandbags deteriorate and all that kind of crap and people some people do take a good do a good job of taking care of things some people don't so we'd all we've been we were rebuilding and uh uh got evening time and of course the yards got their meal and we got our sea rats and uh, we're, we're actually sitting in the bunker uh and all at once uh mortar start, started dropping in around us uh and in fact one of the tubes or tubes was actually walking you could see oh yeah it was walking it up that hill and so we got on the radio and came back to to, to uh, talk and said hey we got a problem we're we're being hit by mortars and uh we got we need some help and uh i don't know how long it was probably five minutes uh somebody came back on the radio and said oh don't worry about it it's friendly it's ours and bill and i looked at each other and <laughs> Uh, I think Bill was talking to him and said, I think those mortars will kill us just as dead. You need yeah. to get it stopped. <laughs> Somebody got wise and finally did that. So. Oh, no, really? Yeah, it, it was another <laughs> wonderful, funny thing that's happened to uh, to uh, us radio operators. So, uh, interesting. Indeed. Because the radio relay sites had a bad history of getting overrun. Yeah, now I don't think this one, to my knowledge, right. ever did. It's got probed several times, but... You know, I, it never, to my knowledge, ever got overrun. They just didn't get around to the final attack, but yeah. they did the probes to oh, see yeah. how yeah. serious you were. You got were. probed all the time, so you were always on on high alert. You didn't uh, sure. not do your due diligence in regards to setting up security. So so yeah. eventually it comes time for the a Cambodian incursion? Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, it was the... the I guess the one I remember the most is one when the big red one was scheduled to go to, into Cambodia. Right. And all you teams, all the recon teams, I don't know how many were involved, did all the intel for that, that incursion. And just for background, uh, during the reason why there was a secret war was that American troops, uh, our government agreed not to have any combat troops in Cambodia or Laos. The communists did the same thing. However, the communists being lying scum that they are, ignored it. Amen. Publicly, they stated that they respected the neutrality, but they never did. They tried to, and they overtook Laos, majority of Laos. They had the Ho Chi Minh Trail that came down <clears throat> into Cambodia also. And at one point in Cambodia, they had over 100,000 troops staged. They would go across the border, attack South Vietnam, then go back into Cambodia, into the sanctuary. So, uh, Years prior, many a general wanted to attack, but the politicians or somebody would not allow them to go in. Finally, in May of 1970, we had the first official, in, they called it an incursion, incursion yeah. into Cambodia by the Big Red One and some and many helicopter units. Right. But meanwhile, quietly behind the scenes, we had SOG, and your role, part of that was... okay. Well, and, and I, I want to mention that uh, SOG did all the intel. In other words, SOG had already found uh, the issues that the Big Red One was going in after, all the cash, the, the weapons, the explosives, the uh, Is that uh, right? facility. Yes. Uh, you wow. guys had, had uh, done the intel to find out where they needed to go and what they were going to find. So, in fact, I would, it would not surprise me, and I feel fairly confident, that they knew, SOG already knew where everything was. They just told the big red one, you know, here's here's where it is, here's where you need to go. <laughs> so uh, uh, 
you know, I mean, you guys were great. You had great eyes and ears. You know, you know what you were doing in that, in that regard. So anyway, I don't know all the ins and outs. I know that first company was tagged to go in uh, and assist uh, in that mission in some form or fashion. Uh, I do remember that again. We were uh, there were three of us, uh, uh, three Americans, and uh, I, again, I'm going to say twenty thirty. Uh, uh, yards uh, that were put on a blackboard to go into boot up. Uh, and I honestly don't remember what exactly we were supposed to do. Right. I know we were supposed to go in and do something. Uh, <laughs> we were going to get our briefing at boot up before yeah. we went in. I mean, we had a general concept that we were going in to assist Big Red One. Uh, and the um, we all loaded up, uh, uh, flew in the, the blackbird. Uh, it's not wasn't that far uh, as I remember uh, to boot up because it set right on the Cambodian border. Right. Uh, and so uh, we just started to make our approach and land uh, at the runway, and uh, we got ripped from the nose to the tail. 51 cal machine gun just tore us to pieces, uh, shrapnel flying everywhere. And uh, I, I told Tilt earlier that uh, probably the scaredest I'd been because. Uh, uh, you have no control. It's not like you can stick your weapon out the window and shoot right. back. Uh, plus, uh, if that plane crashes, you're probably going to die <laughs> real quick. <laughs> so uh, at least with the weapon and the enemy in front of you, there is a chance you can get away, as you well know. Indeed. So uh, anyway, we the pilots, which I didn't know who the pilots were, as you were between the, uh, the storage area of the C-130 and the pilot compartment was a black curtain, and you couldn't go there. Right. Uh, I guess I we did we didn't have the 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 clearance to do that. Certainly, I didn't. Uh, but anyway, we got shot up, and uh, the pilot did, was able to get control of the plane, pull it back up. Learned that the hydraulic system uh, to the wheels uh, were, were was knocked out, and I can't remember whether it was the nose wheel or the the wheels in the rear that could be cranked down. I think it's a nose wheel, but I won't swear. It was, was a back one. Okay, I'm sorry. It was a back one. Yeah. Uh, and we could do that, but they couldn't get the nose wheel down. So the pilots flew clear across Vietnam in the, I don't know at what altitude, but they gained altitude uh, and uh, cut the engines trying to get the wheel to come undone. So we bounced from basically boot op uh, to... Cameron or, or uh, I don't know. Or Tonsonute. Or Tonsonute, whichever had the longest runway. And I right. may have been Tonsonute. Uh, but uh, anyway, of course, not, not only being scared shitless. Uh, oops, I don't know if that was okay to say that. It's okay. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, that uh, didn't make my stomach any feel any better, nor anybody else's. Uh, and were any people flight. wounded from the rounds going uh, through the aircraft? The, the, the crew chief took uh, uh, a round. Uh, if I remember, I was in the leg, uh, but I won't swear to that. Right. Uh, and I took a piece of shrapnel in my leg, uh, which, you know. That woke you up. It, yeah, it, it woke me up. It made <laughs> me feel really good. But uh, anyway, so uh, we fly across. Uh, they do whatever uh, they do to, for a crash landing at Tonsonute, uh, and we go in on our belly. Uh, sparks flying everywhere, and... Uh, uh, our E7, and I can't remember his name, uh, he was, uh, the, I guess, acting for Sardin, really, you might say. Yeah. Uh, he uh, told us that once we landed, that we were to, to put a perimeter around the aircraft, 
uh, and that we were not allowed to allow anybody on that plane unless they were SOG. Uh, so we landed, uh, and uh, uh, we all got out, formed the perimeter, and I don't know who the general was, but a three-star uh, <laughs> Air Force general decided that he was going to come out and see what was going on with this aircraft, which I guess I don't blame him. You know, yeah. Somebody lands on his air, uh, his airstrip. With a crash so, land, somewhat spectacular. Yeah, he he made, Yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he made a big hoorah about getting on it, uh, wanting to check it out. And uh, the E-7 told him he couldn't get on the plane. And uh, uh, the general was rather insistent. But uh, Sergeant turned around to all of us and said, lock and load. We did. And that general turned around and left. You did, reason. and he did. Yeah, yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> that was fantastic. Oh, so, what a great moment in time. <laughs> so I, I don't remember what happened to the yards and the other two Americans, but they pulled me mm-hmm. at Tonsonute and flew me up to play coup. Uh, and play coup is where all of the enemy materials that they were pulling out of Cambodia was being uh, dropped. Uh, and I don't remember what what SOG had to do with that, but we had something, and they needed a radio Because Pleiku was one, of the, was one of the refuel bases for CCC. Yeah. Oh, for CCC, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, that's they sent me up there as a radio operator, and I was to maintain uh, communication long range into uh, Cambodia. Uh, from there? From there, yeah. Wow. So... Uh, I don't know what the reasoning was behind it. Just yeah. did what they told me to do. But there's kind of a funny story about that. I, I, uh, uh, of course, was doing my deal, and, and I had to go somewhere in a Jeep. I don't remember where it was, but right. I had to go get something or take somebody somewhere. No, I must go get something because I didn't have anybody else with me. So I'm going down through uh, the area, and I guess I was speeding and got stopped by the MPs. No. No. And, uh, of course, I'm a E5. I don't have any, any right. signal or anything else on. But, uh, uh, of course, the MPs stopped me and, and uh, asked me what unit I'm with and, you know, various and sundry. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't not say. I'm, you know, Marcus Witt, 5466A211, whatever it was. And, uh, anyway, uh, I quiet. <laughs> and so uh, they put me in handcuffs and – one of them drove the, the Jeep I was driving to, to the uh, command post, the MP command post, and uh, took me into a captain. And, you know, we had our little uh, card that said, get out of jail right. free. I, I don't, I, I never knew before whether it actually worked. Uh, but uh, uh, we got in there, and the captain again asked me name, rank, seal, number, what I was doing, who my unit was, how many of us there were. And of yeah. I didn't say anything, and I just handed him the card. And I don't know who he talked to. You know, he dials a number that in Saigon. And whoever it was, uh, I never had another problem again because they dressed the captain down, and he turned to me afterwards, and they said, take the handcuffs off, uh, escort uh, Sergeant Witt uh, to wherever he needs to go and make sure that he has no delays whatsoever. So I got the Jeep and left. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of funny, too. So. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I... As as I think we know, the yeah. the mission turned out well. Got lots of stuff. I, I remember uh, uh, forgetting about the Chinook and the electrified hook, and getting the ship knocked out of me for gra- grabbing a a sling load full of AK forty seven. So 
Uh, it was it was a very interesting time then. So you got this shit knocked out of you, but yes, if you don't ground yourself and grab a Chinook hook, right? There's a I guess it's static electricity that goes through it. It will knock you. It knocked me off a. Uh, 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 I was standing on a. That's what it was. They brought in a sling load of weapons, right? And we were hook up uh, concertina wire. Okay. And I was standing on the roll, this big roll of concertina wire, and I was supposed to. Hook it up. On, and I grabbed the hook to go this way, and it was a bad mistake. It blew me clear <laughs> off the thing. So. Really? Yeah. <laughs> It'll knock crap out of you. I don't know whether it still does do that. Does it? It still does. Okay. According to reliable sources. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. So you so okay, how much longer are you in SOG after, after the incursion? And then? Uh, I left. Uh, you know, I did the, the radio relay sites, and I did another couple of mission things with... Uh, uh, first company, uh, I left at the end of October of 1970. Uh, I was uh, queried about uh, uh, re-upping, and uh, uh, after my experience with the promotion board, I said, screw you, I'm not interested. Uh, I, I had discussed before with the, the uh, radio uh, uh, supervisor, I remember it was SFC Nelson was our NCO, and then we had Captain Potter. wasn't Harry or Henry Potter. wasn't Henry. Uh, but uh, uh, both of them were not inclined to let me go to uh, RT school, go to recon. But uh, uh, so things just didn't work out. Yeah, I would have wouldn't have mind staying, but uh, I was just not really happy. So so this is your first tour of duty with the army. So when did this first tour of duty begin for you because uh, earlier discussions you said you had ah. an interesting <laughs> walk and maybe just how do you get into the army in the first place okay. a little bit of your background to get up to that point right. where then you get into the army and then we'll come back and take it post sog okay post your first tour of duty with uncle sam's army well i i grew up in a very rural area uh both mostly cattle and oil wells uh in osage county oklahoma and tornadoes uh, and tornadoes yeah tornadoes <laughs> hail uh but uh, uh my dad was a uh he worked for Phillips petroleum company in the oil field and uh, we had a small ranch so i went to a high school that uh, my graduating class was 53 so it was very small wow not not a small sum but very small yeah um uh, i was uh, my mother was a teacher at the time and uh, so uh uh, I always went to school, didn't skip class, but, uh, uh, I was a, I was a good athlete, uh, played, uh, baseball, football and basketball for a couple of years. I wasn't a very good basketball player, but I was a good baseball player and a, a good football player. And, uh, uh, I was, uh, offered a scholarship to go to a junior college to play football and, uh, uh, then received a letter from Oklahoma State University asking Ooh. Uh, saying basically that uh, they'd like me to walk on, and if I made the team, I'd get a scholarship. So I grew up an OSU cowboy. Uh, my my dad and mom both went to school there. That's where we went for game days. Uh, 
you know, we were very involved in the college uh, experience. I mean, college there. football in Oklahoma, that's yeah, yeah. everything well, else is secondary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well. I, and they I had did, another college too, right? Yeah, I was that a you junior college Apollo, Oklahoma University. That's what it was. I, I was just, <laughs> wasn't sure about the name. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I decided to go to college uh, and walk on at Oklahoma State and uh, probably wasn't a good idea because I, I – I came from very rural, small high school. Uh, you, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to do. Uh, get to Stillwater, and there's bars, and there's beer, and there's women, and and that's what I did. I I uh, I, I didn't realize you had to go to class. You had to go to class too. Yes, yes, I had to go to oh. class. And uh, uh, <laughs> my first semester, I was after it, I was put on probation, and second semester, it just went worse. We have one so, thing in common. Another thing in common, there, Marcus. <laughs> Life on probation in college. Oh, I, yeah. I was bad, and I—it's I, <laughs> funny. I there when I was, uh, uh, and I and I played football. Yeah, but you know, I was no star. I mean, I I don't want I I lettered, and that's it. You know. Yeah. So but you were there. You did it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was a safety, and so uh, anyway, I would on on Fridays when it wasn't football season, uh, I would go home, uh, and it was uh, to get to my house. It was probably 70, 80 miles. But there was two ways you could go and always went home and would wake up the next morning not having a clue which road I took. <laughs> and, I, you know, the good Lord had to be riding with me because nobody else would. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was really bad off drinking and uh, yeah. uh, not going to class. So anyway, long story short, my dad came to uh, my little apartment one day uh, and said, pack your bags. You're going home. So we get home. Uh, he said, tomorrow morning we're going to Pahuska, which was the capital of Osage County, and uh, you're going to join the Army. <laughs> and Is I that said, right? Yeah, well, yes. And and back then, yeah. what, what did we say to our parents when they told us to do something? We said, yes, sir, no, sir, oh, yeah. yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And I said, yes, sir. So I uh, went to uh, Pahuska, signed up. So what up. year is this? This was in 1967. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I didn't even say that. 66, I graduated in uh, 1966, and, and 67, I was still watering. Yeah. And seven, 67 uh, in the uh, fall is when I crashed, or when Dad had, <laughs> had decided I'd crashed enough. So uh, anyway, he took me to um, uh, Pahuska. I signed up. I signed up for the draft. I mean, I knew I was going to get a, a draft notice anyway. Right. So I, I signed up. And if, if you remember back in those days, you had there were two um, way or two numbers that you could get. You could get right. an RA or a US. US so I yeah. started out as a US. No kidding. Yep, yeah, yeah, US because yeah. I was volunteer for two years. Right. Well. Uh, we go to now back then. I, maybe they did, but I didn't remember being even asked about what do you want to do in the military it wasn't until i got to to fort polk louisiana for basic that we went through that all the rigor you had the test yes, all yes, written yes, test. yes yes you take the test and they they give you this list of of things that they say you're qualified for and you know i don't have a unfortunately i don't have a mechanical bone in my body <laughs> and i chose helicopter mechanics no yes and i to this day i don't know why I, I didn't fly. I'm not a pilot. I, you know, I, I don't have any clue why I decided to do that. Uh, so they said, oh, that's good. For, in order to do that, you're going to have to sign up for another year. So what did that do? I became RA. Regular Army. Yes. I became regular <laughs> Army. 
And I was one of three regular army guys in our platoon in basic training. So one day near the end of our eight weeks, uh, it was raining a dog. And, of course, Fort Polk is, well, Fort you know, Polk. You know is Fort Fort Polk. Polk. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it was raining like a dog, and they were going to the range. And they called the three RA guys named out of first formation and said, you guys are going, you're not going to the range today. You're going to jungle warfare orientation. Oh, at now, Fort Polk. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't have a clue what that was, but we knew we were going to be inside and not standing out in the rain. So that was a good thing. So we all crowded into, the, I don't know how many basic training you know, platoons there were at, at, right. at, at that time, but th- this was a huge uh, auditorium and it was full. So I don't know how many of that was. A uh, bunch of bunch of folks. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, so by 1968 was it was a year of the highest uh, number of uh, American troops in Vietnam. Okay, we well this is 67, yeah. so that would have been. Phoenix. You're building up to it. Yeah. Yes, sir. So so we go into that and out from the, the stage walks. A guy that's got these shiniest boots I've ever seen, you know, jump boots. Oh, yeah. Has the. His cockers. Uh, yes. Has the. Uh, starched. Uh, jungle fatigue starched. Oh, my God. Has a green beret on his head. Yeah. And he was the first enlisted person or really army person that didn't start out with UMFs. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty good. I thought he's a good guy, you know. <laughs> so he gives his spiel about green berets. And uh, tells us that uh, you know you got to take a uh, physical test, you got to take a mental test. If you pass those, you know you can, we'll send you Fort Bragg and all that. Anyway, long story short, I I did the deal, did good. Uh, one of very few out of that entire auditorium that got to go yeah. uh, to begin, and uh, so they sent me to Fort uh, uh, Leonard Wood for twelve Bravo, uh, learn how to blow things up mainly, uh, and then I went to jump school. Uh, when I was at jump school, uh, they were filming the jump part. I wasn't in that, but right. they a uh, jump part of of uh, the Green Berets. There, the movie had been starred yeah. John Wayne. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, and I, I, it's I remember seeing it at Bragg. You know, seeing the movie and <laughs> oh yeah, laughing about some of the things that took place. And then you get to Nam and find out well, it really does happen that way. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, I I, I uh, went through. Uh, uh, got to SF training, uh, w- was going to be a medic, uh, went through 91 Alpha. Really? Uh-huh. Went through 91 Alpha. And I don't remember when that decision was made or, uh, you know, I, yeah. all I know is I went to 91 Alpha. Sure. It's 91 Alpha, and we were supposed to go to 91 Bravo at uh, Fort Sam, uh, but uh, they called us in formation one day and said it got, there's a delay of 90 days. I guess 91 Bravo got backed up or something. Uh, and said, so you have a choice. You can switch MOS, MOSs, or you can pick up pine cones for 90 days. Oh. Well, I thought that doing something would be picking up pine cones. <laughs> so I volunteered to switch to, and they, yeah. you know, we, any of the others. And I went, I don't, I don't know why, but I went radio operator. I'm glad I did because I got to be good at it. But uh, uh, it's uh, that's how I ended up at, at Bragg and went through. I, I do remember uh, the... Uh, First phase, we had phase one, two, and three back then. Right. Uh, this was in 60, let's see, this would have been in 68 and 69. Uh, you went, went through phase one. Phase one, 
Uh, I, I remember there was an SFC Torres. Do you remember Torres? No. He was a badass bad, <laughs> it's okay. bad guy. Bad Viet, Vietnam guy. Okay. I mean, he was well known for his heroics. Jocko's folks have used words a little bit more harsh oh. than that. So oh, okay. 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 So I don't We're feel not bad. PC here. Okay. Oh, yeah. good. I'm glad to know that. Uh, so anyway, uh, we, you know, they divide you up into teams there at the end and you're supposed to exfil and, uh, you know, with you find uh, through the swamps and, and the Everglades or whatever that yeah. heck you could find, uh, they had you go through, but uh, uh, you had E and E uh, and you had to do it successfully in a certain amount of time. And uh, we, they dropped us off out of Deuce half in the middle of nowhere. And there was like, I want to say six of us, a couple of officers. Of course you didn't know. Oh, really? You had officers? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of officers and, and uh, four or five enlisted. Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, of course, I was a E three. I was an E three. Yeah, that much power. Yeah, wow. People are crazy to give me that kind of stuff. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'll never forget this. You know, you have to do, use your light discipline. Yeah. And the uh, one of the lieutenants. Yeah, I guess they were both lieutenants. One of the lieutenants lit up a cigarette. No. And all I heard was this growl coming from behind us. We turned and looked. And, of course, I didn't know who he was at the time yeah, I mean, yeah. before this happened. SFC Torres liked to tore that lieutenant's head off, <laughs> come screaming out of the woods and just, you know, <laughs> annihilated him for, yeah, yeah. for light discipline. I certainly <clears throat> understand it. But the scary part was he told all of us he was going to make sure that we had to do this again. Ooh. And I'm going... I can't do this again. <laughs> I'm not going to do this again. Yeah, yeah. So we go, he leads us. And, and I was so impressed with his ability. I swear he could go through a brick wall and you wouldn't hear him. He was the most stealthy man that no I'd kidding. ever. Yeah, I just couldn't believe it. Anyway, we got about probably three quarters of the way through and some uh, trainee lost his weapon. So they called the whole exercise off everybody passed and we had to go help try to look for the weapon which no somebody yeah somebody individually finally found <laughs> it, so. so that was my first experience with sf along with sometime during that i, I had my first bout with kidney stones for oh yeah so uh but uh it was it was uh a great opportunity i've never been so proud of doing anything in my life as being able to go through sf school sure uh, you know, went through phase one. Of course, phase two was radio opera school. Right. And then, uh, you went I, straight through, didn't get recycled like I did? No. Well, no, I didn't. But I, I, I was good. Uh, I was a good liar, I guess. And, you know, faked a lot of stuff. But uh, I got lucky. I, I really was. And I had a lot of good uh, people around me that uh, we you, all worked together, you know. Right. Then you came to your FTX. Yeah, yes. FTX. That went smoothly. Didn't have any issues. That was a, a wonderful experience with the uh, – uh, Pineland. Uh, sure. Yeah, that was great. Uh, I graduated from there. I even got a Pineland sticker on my vehicle. So Is that right? <laughs> University oh, of Pineland. Yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, and so the last, uh, you know, three or four days you spend on the phone with Mrs. Alexander trying to get uh, your choice assignment. Yeah. Uh, I, I probably called her three or four times, and she was always gracious. I mean, Thinking about all of the numbers, and I don't know the exact numbers, but there was a lot of people that went through SF training then. Oh, yeah. And every the one of them was called on. Mrs. Alexander sure. at some point in their life. As you said, you took her 
candy and a bouquet of flowers or something. A bottle of wine. Bottle of wine. Her, her wine and the flowers. There yeah. you go. Went Damn. to the Pentagon. This is 69 for, in my case. Just Did to you say, get what you wanted? Yeah, I want a CCN. Oh, okay. Well, see, so I, I didn't. I, I don't had even, to get out of Fort Devens. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, you were already signed. You were already in group, yep. right? Okay. All right. Yeah, well, I was trying to get into group, and so Indeed. my first choice was actually 10th group because I I wanted to go to Batolls and help people across the wall. I thought, Certainly. And wear civilian clothes. I thought, yeah. that, that's that'd be great. It's a great assignment. So that was but first, and, and uh, first group was uh, second, and fifth was third, and I got first group, so. Ended up in first group, and we already talked about that. Indeed. So, we'll fast forward through your first tour of duty. You get out of the Army, and this is 1971 or 70? Yeah, well, it's, it's the end of 70. End of 1970. Yeah, yeah. You Very get end out. of 70. And so, what happens here? Okay. Well, you know, of course, we all know during that period of time going home, uh, the way Vietnam veterans were treated. Right. Uh, I experienced a little bit of that. I think the, the biggest thing for me, uh, the kind of a shock, really, I, and then I, I look back on it and think, well, maybe it shouldn't be, but uh, was my folks acted like I'd just been, had, had gone somewhere for vacation and come back. There was no discussion about how was it, are you doing okay? I mean, it was really odd. Yeah. Because uh, my, but my dad never talked about war. I mean, you could ask him something. Because he was a tanker in World yeah, War II. he was a tanker. So he knew what combat General, was yeah, like. Yeah, General Patton. And I guess probably nobody talked to him about it. So, But anyway, that was kind of the surprise. And then, uh, you know, you kept a low profile. I went back to college uh, and uh, got married uh, uh, the first time. And uh, uh, money was a big deal. And I happened to be down at uh, gone from a junior college I uh, got my uh, associate's degree and went to get my four-year degree instead of going back to Oklahoma State because they probably wouldn't have taken me back. As I, <laughs> uh, I went down to East Central State College, which is down in southeastern Oklahoma, yeah. four-year school. And I was on campus and ran into uh, one of the ROTC guys, and he was uh, Green Beret wearing his beret and the whole bit no kidding and he and he, yeah. well, he and i hit up a conversation i you know of course told him about my background he said you need to join the 12th and i didn't of course i didn't know anything about it sure and i said we never wow. heard about it yeah in, in, in going no. through fort bragg no not a bit 11th and 12th were reserve groups 19th and 20 were the were the guard groups and uh, so uh, i got uh, uh he gave me could the you explain a little bit what the difference would be between a reservist ah okay sure and then uh, you had National Guard 19th yeah, and 20th. Yeah, well, the 11th and 12th <clears throat> were uh, Army Reserve units. Right. Uh, and, of course, they were uh, directly under the President of the United States. Okay? That, that President is the only one that could call them to duty. Right. Uh, there was a guard, two guard units, 19th and 20th, and they were just like normal guard. They answered first to the adjutant general of the state in which they reside. And then, right. of course— uh, to the president if, if he wanted to activate them. So uh, there were no guard units, uh, SF units, in our state. There was a reserve unit, and it was 2nd Battalion, 12th Special Forces Group in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I ended up joining them, uh, was an E-5, made E-6 real quick. Uh, I actually went into the battalion talk initially, mm-hmm. and then I was assigned to A-211 as a senior Commo man and spent uh, 10 years initially with uh, <laughs> uh, the 12th group, uh, 2nd Battalion, a, a, a 211. And then uh, uh, I 
I, because of financial things, I needed to get promoted. And I was an E7. Uh, I needed to get promoted and get, uh, you know, uh, uh, to help the family budget. And so a friend of mine in the town in which I was living offered me an E8 position in the unit that he was a battalion commander for. Uh, oh, so wow. I left and, and became a E8 master sergeant in a personnel and administration battalion. <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> seven but you got the promotion. Of, yes, I got Indeed. the promotion. Uh, so uh, that worked good. And, of course, I, I, uh, uh, I met several years in, in that unit and uh, several other uh, reserve units. Uh, then I ended up uh, in. Uh, this is the, during the 80s into early 90s. Yes, then. yes, yeah. There's not much going on. The yeah. army's being rift, reduced. Yes, and and the one the one big difference that I saw between the guard and reserve between the 11th and 12th, 19th and 20th, is the 11th and 12th very seldom got to do anything. Right. I mean, we did some missions along the border of Mexico mm-hmm. uh, back in the drug drug days. You know, sure. when the drugs were coming across heavy, uh, we would go out there and sit on the border for hours upon end. Uh, if you and, saw anything, you had to report to the border patrol. Yes, exactly. Because so, of posse comitatus. Yes, exactly. Indeed. Yeah. So, uh, but that was really about it, uh, other than training missions, Alaska, Panama, you know, those kinds of things. But you know, but still, a training missions, and you're out of country. Well, that's true. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, you just kind of brush over that, but yeah. still, like the whole <laughs> idea of packing up, gearing up, you go to another country. Yeah. Yeah, I jump in usually. Yeah, we yeah. made a lot of jumps in the twelfth. I've always, uh, I've, I've loved jumping. Uh, I would have uh, loved to be. We we tried to go to Halo School, for instance. Right. We never got to. Uh, I didn't get to go to Jump Master School until I became CSM. Really. Uh, of twelfth uh, groups, second uh, battalion, twelfth special force group, <laughs> Fort Campbell, fifth group through fifth groups. Uh, no kidding. Uh, jump Master School course. Wow. Uh, but. Uh, Anyway, I, I happened to be in a USAR school as a CSM. I'd made CSM, or excuse me, I'm sorry, Sergeant Major. Uh, I was in charge of enlisted courses for this uh, USAR school. Uh, the, the United States Army Reserves, what USAR stands yeah. for. Uh, and they were responsible for doing military occupational specialty courses throughout the United States to Guard and Reserve members. Uh, called Schoolhouse to the Soldier. So uh, I happened to be on the second floor, our unit was on the second floor of a, a reserve unit and uh, a reserve uh, 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 building. And the first uh, floor was occupied by uh, 12th, or excuse me, uh, A Company, 12th Special Forces Group. Uh, and so A Company was located yeah. in um, there in Oklahoma City, which, which battalion headquarters was in Tulsa, uh, some 90 some miles away. So one of the, uh, of course, I was knew m- most everybody there, and so would visit with them every time we had drill. And uh, so one of the guys came up to me and said, "Hey, uh, uh, are you going to apply for this CSM position at Second Battalion?" I said, "I didn't know anything about it." So they gave me the the paperwork and had me look at it, and I looked at it, and I thought, "Well, I've only been sergeant major three years. There's probably not a." good chance in heck that I'm going to get CSM, but, you know, I, I could at least get some experience and submit in a pack, doing a packet and submit it. And again, for our listeners, oh. the, the people in the ordinary world wouldn't know the difference between a sergeant major and a command sergeant major, and at that time, the whole rank of command sergeant major was evolving into a, into the formal army structure itself and into SF, yes. because SF 
was beginning to grow a little bit then, finally. Yeah. Well, actually, the way I've always – people have asked me that, that yeah. question. The way I've always answered is that uh, CSMs, command sergeant majors, are at battalion and above. So they're not in company level. Right. Sergeant majors are – uh, they can be at battalion, but they're going to be battalion and below. And these are the top enlisted personnel. Yes, E nine top top enlisted personnel. So uh, I be, I became uh, I I submitted my packet, and lo and behold, as you would figure, uh, I was accepted, and and it was kind of <laughs> shocking because I wasn't expecting it at all. So I took my uh, orders and I showed up at Second uh, uh, Battalion, Twelfth Special Forces Group in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to begin my service four-year service as the uh, CSM of 2nd Battalion. And uh, I, you and I talked about it over breakfast, but yeah. uh, had an interesting uh, collision, so to speak. I walked in to report to the uh, battalion commander, and uh, he basically said, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah, uh, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> yeah, welcome to 2nd Battalion, but you're not, you're not my – he actually told me, you're not my CSM. Uh, Wilson Hunt's my CSM. And Wilson Hunt was – at the time as CSM, but uh, apparently I learned that at some point in time, one of the full-timers, because uh, that position had been occupied by somebody for longer than it should have been, Right. Uh, that, you know, CSM pulls a four-year uh, tour. Tour of duty. Yeah, tour of duty for four years. So you get in, he's gone, then you do your four years. Now, during that time, are there deployments there? Uh, yes, there are some deployments there. Uh my gosh, I don't even remember where they were, but uh, uh, we did have several. We had some interesting there. ones. It's not well, that it was later on. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, that one wasn't. Uh, in fact, that's that's where we did the the um, uh, border thing. Right was during that ninety one to, to ninety four, and unfortunately, in nineteen ninety four, uh, the eleventh and twelfth special forces group were deactivated. Right, uh, combat assignments were given to the National Guard by the Pentagon. Uh, and uh, the Army Reserve, uh, the Reserve Forces, became combat support and combat service support units. So it was a, a black day uh, for 11th and 12th Group soldiers. Uh, we did have a number in the Oklahoma area that were able to get on. And I, I don't, I never do quite remember 19th and 20th. Right. I know one of them was in Utah, the headquarters, and one was in Maryland at one right. time. I don't remember which one is which, <laughs> but but uh, I do know that there was a, a unit, one of the companies uh, was in the Mississippi area. And so a lot of the Oklahoma guys did get on with SF uh, in right. Mississippi, but nowhere could I find that anybody wanted an E9 which isn't surprising. I didn't mention earlier that uh, 12th Group was kind of somewhat of an oddity in, in its uh, environment of, of how far we reached uh, because as a CSM, I had to do a lot of travel. Right. Uh, and I said a, our battalion headquarters in Tulsa, A Company was in uh, Oklahoma City, B Company was in El Paso, Texas. Ooh. You'll love this one. Charlie Company was in San Diego, California. Uh, right. And we had a team strung out <laughs> from uh, Oklahoma all the way out to the West Coast. So Wow. And Charlie was, Company's now up in Orange County. Oh, is that where it is? North okay. of San Diego. Yeah. They just re redesignated again. Uh, oh, darn. That's interesting. <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, I uh, pulled the stint there. And then, of course, when it deactivated, I, I actually uh, 
ended up in the 95th Division and assisted in setting up two brigade headquarters. I was a brigade uh, CSM, 3rd Brigade and 4th Brigade, uh, and uh, eventually served my time or you know did the time that I could serve uh, in the reserves. I actually went to, in 2002, I got an assignment to Bosnia. Whoa. Uh, and uh, was uh, uh, in Bosnia for a year, all of 2002. So what unit were you with then? Uh, I was with Stabilization Force Bosnia, and we were located at Camp Butmir, which is in uh, just outside Sarajevo, uh, Bosnia. Uh, we had 34 nations. Uh, I was telling, uh, mentioned earlier that uh, I used to have a, a meeting once a month with all the sergeant majors. We would have a meeting with 32 country sergeant majors wow it was just it was it was unbelievable and some of them couldn't speak english and i certainly couldn't like italians we had we had uh, a rough part there so uh, and so by that time the conflict there with u.s involvement u.n involvement that had been going on for a year oh, and a half two oh, years oh yeah several years okay yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think 98 maybe and you had to walk cj Sodaf uh, was was there on base uh And what kind of missions there? You're, you're supporting locals and training locals. Well, the job of C.J. Fotis then was looking for uh, all the... The war criminal. Yes, yes. Yeah. That was their job. In fact, I got to go out with them a couple of times and pull rear security. So <laughs> it was kind of fun. Indeed. And got to drop leaflets. Yeah, it was, it was all right. I, it's kind of, <laughs> uh, uh, it, uh, I was trying to think. Started with an H, Colonel... Became the commanding general of special forces. He had a brother. He and his brother were both, they were both lieutenant colonels. I can't believe it. I, I told you I'm terrible. Terrible That's on okay. names. I'm sorry. Uh, well, but anyway, he was the colonel for C.J. Stodoff then, and then yeah. he became commanding general of special forces. Uh, nice guy. And uh, uh, the sergeant major for C.J. Stodoff was Murray Small, and he was out of, 19th or 20th, I can't remember. A little bit short guy, but really a nice guy. But uh, uh, it was a good year. It was a fascinating. Bosnia was a fascinating area. Uh, as I tell people, Croatia is the place to go on the coast. Woo! Indeed. P it, people never think about that no, way. No, no. Because you, you hear all the headlines, the conflict, and war criminal activity, yeah. and just the absolute hatred between yes. different religious factions, political factions there, and the brutal way yeah. they treat each other. Well, and... and uh, people ask, well, well yeah, it's a beautiful country. Uh, the thing you had to be aware of, though, you had to stay on the beaten path because they still, they're still saying that there's a million landmines buried in Bosnia. Really? Yes. So, Whoa. so don't go stomping for them unless yeah. you want a big bang. Uh, so <laughs> I, one thing I did while I was in Bosnia, I, I, the contractor KBR, which was a subsidiary of Halliburton, Right. And our uh, Department of Defense secretary at one time, uh, he, which he got a lot of heat for. But anyway, I uh, befriended them because they were responsible for taking care of all services for uh, the Americans that were in Bosnia. And uh, so I befriended a lot of them, got to know them, and uh, they all said, hey, why don't you come back and work for us? I thought, well, that'd be pretty interesting. And yeah. when you say taking care of service, that means everything from food to portable latrines. It's that include weapons and ammo? Uh, yes. And all any of that. training? No training. No, no, not training. Not right. training. Now, they had uh, Eagle Base, which was where the divisions 
that was an all Eagle Base uh, at Tuzla was an all American base. Wow. So that's where the per- the personnel basically responsible for missions in and around Bosnia. That's where they were headquartered, and it was strictly all KBR. Uh, and uh, I mean they they had it really nice it was really nice when you went i would uh take the the general's chopper blackhawk up to uh, uh when i needed to go up to eagle base and uh, that was kind of neat too i've got many pictures of me with two stars on the on the seat covers behind me but uh uh it, it was uh it was, kbr had the food service at eagle base right at bosnia i mean excuse me at Bootmere, it was the uh the english or the the uh the Brits. Brits, yeah. Yeah. Wasn't very good. No, of course yeah, not. Yeah. But they're not known for their food. No. No, they're <laughs> not. Uh, and, I, I will say that, that I can th- thankfully stay, and I've still got I've got a thing hanging in my office uh, at home <laughs> that, uh, do, are we okay on time? Oh, we're fine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, on Bootmere, we were allowed, that's one thing that everybody wanted to come to Bootmere. Because it was a NATO base. Right. You were allowed to drink alcohol. Ooh. <laughs> Eagle Base, that was a no-no. Really? So where did they put CH soda? On Bootmere. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of the countries in in most of the areas, I mean, except for the major buildings, were made out of the, the, the Connex-type buildings. And so uh, my the battalion commander of the, of the personnel, American personnel, mm-hmm. uh, Got together and we uh, we started the first American bar on Camp Bootmere. All right, that's what that that was our legacy. Uh, <laughs> this is was, after you got out, uh, huh? You're still in? Oh no, I'm still in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got many pictures of me in uniform in, <laughs> in our bar. We sold uh, uh, good cold Sarajevo beer, and uh, uh, it was a money maker. It used to be the German bars where everybody yeah. went. We got the American bar up and running. Germans didn't have anybody to go to. <laughs> it, it was great. I, it, it, you had to see it. It was. Indeed. We called it Sam's, and it was soldiers, airmen, marines, and sailors. Very good. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that was a good time, and uh, I I uh, ended up going home uh, after my stint uh, year there, and uh, uh, due to some uh, job situation I was involved in at the time, I figured it'd be better if I left. So I decided that I was going to try KBR. So I contacted them and did what they advised me to do, you know, yeah. provide them. They said they provide me a date. And so I went to Houston, Texas for a week and did their orientation, did their, had to go through their uh, health exam uh, and uh, stood in line the last day to receive orders thinking I was going to Bosnia. And when I got mine handed to me, I got orders to go to Oman, Jordan. Ooh. So, uh, never been <laughs> and, to Jordan before. But, and what's the time frame here? Uh, this is in, let's see, this was in January of 03. Ooh. January of 03. <laughs> so, I uh, get to a very nice hotel in Oman, Jordan. And uh, uh, in fact, that year, it snowed in Oman. <laughs> snowed in Oman, in the desert. It was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> so uh went there and then ended up uh on a old uh air force base uh in jordan uh on the western near the iraqi border 
Uh, and it wasn't until I got there that I knew really what was going on. Of course, they were building up for the invasion of Iraq. And what else is new, right? Yeah, you got I mean, an assignment, do you land and you get the reality check? I was, I was uh, start. My first job was as billeting supervisor, and I put five thousand service members in tents. Oh, I had a, uh, uh, oh gosh, what's the green tractor? Uh, uh, John Deere. John Deere. I yeah. had a John Deere Gator. Yeah, <laughs> and. So, because there was high accountability of these cots. Right. So, I would meet the C-5s that landed with a bus, put them on the bus, carry them down to where all the tents were, and that's what KBR was doing. They were building these, they were tents, but right. they had uh, two before sides and doors, and then they added heating and uh, and uh, uh, cooling units. Sure. So, uh we would put 12 to a tent because uh, they weren't going to be there that long. So I would then go down to this massive gated uh, facility and take my key, open up the lock, get in, pile uh, 12 cots on the back of this gator, latch, uh, uh, tie it down, and then off I'd go to, get, to have them sign each uh, uh, cot out. Uh, it was it was amazing. So anyway. you go through that process, and you're there for the actual invasion. Yeah, yeah, yes, I jumped off. Yes, uh, in fact, I was very fortunate. Third uh, Battalion, Fifth Group came in uh, I, on March the seventeenth. I believe that was the date uh, when they went across the demarcation line about three o'clock in the morning. I was standing with them as they moved out. I Whoa. was wishing I was with them, but unfortunately, I couldn't do that. So. Uh, we started tearing down the camp after that, and in July, I believe it was the 7th of July, I flew into Baghdad, uh, and I was assigned as a camp manager of a newly building camp uh, at Al-Hilla, uh, and uh, as I was telling you and your wife earlier, uh, right where, I, where this place was, was the basically the start of civilization. Tigris and Euphrates River came together. The uh, Tower of Babel base you could see from the air, or at least that's what they said it was. Right. Uh, right. The Hanging Gardens, one of the wonders of the world, was there. Uh, if if the Sunnis and Shiites would quit fighting, tourism would just be unbelievable. That's uh, right. Yeah, the Christian uh, air right there is the start of, of Christianity, basically. And so right. uh, uh, it was something to see. We we actually had a camp there. Uh, that's where uh, I'm. Uh, some of the guys that I left on 17 uh, March uh, ran into uh, there. They were up <laughs> in one of the old palaces, uh, and uh, from third group, uh, or excuse me, fifth group, uh, third battalion. And uh, so I served in Alhilla. Then I went to uh, Kabala uh, as camp manager there. Then I went to uh, the Green Zone in Baghdad as a, a operations manager for all of Iraq. Uh, uh, KBR, uh, and then I got on with a little security company because, gosh, they were paying the most at that time. Indeed, indeed. So uh, I did. Uh, I actually did. <laughs> That's the word we were sure about. But yeah. you never get to actually. That's exactly the way it, yeah. you played the game as a contractor. You sure. went to the greenest pastures. So I went to this uh, uh, little. Uh, they were actually uh, out of Nebraska, and they were an Indian tribe. And they really? had this little contract in the talk for doing uh, 
threat assessment for uh, the ambassador and his staff. In other words, we, uh, I worked night shifts when I worked for them, and uh, we would take intel and, and help the uh, folks plan their route for the next day, wherever they were going in, in uh, Baghdad or outside of Baghdad, and take in all the threat assessments and do other reports. And, so I did that for... Uh, uh, and there were plenty of threats here. Oh yeah, there were lots of threats there. Uh, uh, it's uh, it it was an amazing time. I mean, there was lots of bad stuff, and certainly I wasn't involved in that. Being a be a contractor most of the time, uh, I mean, we had some things happen that uh, it'd been nice to. If you worked for KBR, when we worked for KBR, you were not allowed to have a weapon. Really? Yeah, because they were under military. They were under U.S. Uh, DOD contract. So uh, uh, your uh, security was the United States military. Uh, so and you couldn't drink alcohol either. So uh, <laughs> your situational awareness had to be really sharp. Yes, you it certainly did. I, I always every time I got in a uh, one of the Humvees, uh, I looked at what I thought would be which guy or young young kid. Uh, when the shit hits the fan, he's going to drop his weapon and I'm going to get it. <laughs> like, which one is it? So, uh, but anyway, uh, I did that uh, uh, night thing for a while, and then I actually worked for Blackwater for about three whole months. Uh, they weren't wild about SF guys at all. They were, you know, more the Navy SEAL guys, but uh, I worked for three months with them. Uh, left to take another job with, uh, uh, what was the name of that? Well, it was out of Framingham, Framingham. Uh, uh, Massachusetts, that's what it right. was. Framingham, Massachusetts. Uh, and they actually built, were in charge of building the hard covers for uh, the DFACs and through the, through the State Department. They, that's, What's a DFAC? Oh, uh, dining facility. Indeed. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's okay. I, I forget. I know. <laughs> uh, and over some large uh, meeting types of buildings. When I was there, they weren't putting them over sleeping containers, but I understand that they they eventually did that. But it was it was a system that looked like a pole barn, uh, and it went up over these tall structures, red iron, and the first layer was about three inches thick of what of a tin and um, uh, foam substance. And then below that was what they called e-glass. And it looked like a sheet of plywood, kind of. Uh, but honey, uh, it was honey color. Honey color. And it yeah. weighed 160 pounds a sheet. And they put two of those sheets uh, all over uh, the top of the, uh, the facility. But, uh, oh, I don't know, two, three feet below the, the uh, metal uh, roof. Right. And it was designed... The way it was designed, it was to withstand up to 122-millimeter rocket or mortar. Uh, the rocket or mortar would come through and would hit the tin and the foam, and that would detonate it, and the uh, e-glass would uh, deflect all of the shrapnel. It worked. So that was a refinement of uh, building bunkers that yes. began in Vietnam and Quezon, A-camps, yeah. So you have something that when the mortars and like you exactly. said, exactly the old sandbags, you'd bit, do three or four thick layers. of or, yes. or more uh, layers. We did the same thing in Iraq. Uh, uh, the contractors that I worked for, we didn't get e glass, but uh, <laughs> so we would take the living containers that we lived in and right. we would put uh, three or four layers of sandbags, uh, fill sandbags. By yeah, way. it's important. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
that was the last company I worked for, but I worked for uh, uh, them in Basra, uh, the Green Zone, and in Alhilla. So, uh, and I came home uh, in 08. I was, I was, things were getting a little hairy. I'd, I'd uh, in Basra, when I first went to Basra, uh, we started that project of, for the State Department there, and you, you wouldn't spend five minutes outdoors and all at once that rockets and mortars start coming in top, on top of everybody. Wow. Uh, so we had to stop construction. And so they eventually sent our crew to Baghdad. So we went and worked there. I, the, my last stint was back at Basra. And uh, it's kind of funny because I was taking the I was security manager is what I was. I uh, was taking the place of a, another security manager who was going home. And so I called him. I said, how's the... How's the enemy situation? How's the rocket more? Oh, he said, "Oh gosh, it's almost done. We, we haven't, uh, we haven't had an attack in in a couple of weeks." I said, "Oh, well, that's great." So I get down there. The first night I'm there, we took in 24 rounds. <laughs> so I figured somebody's out there. I'd said, "Hey, wits back. Let's 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 make him feel us. Our new targets yeah. here. <laughs> let's make him welcome." <laughs> so uh, I was standing outside the hooch one late one evening, and a round came in and. There was a back hole back behind where I was, uh, my uh, sleeping container, and uh, took out the back hole, blew shrapnel through my sleeping container, uh, and I didn't hit me, thank God. But uh, I, I did at that point. I said, "Yeah, my son's getting ready to start football. I think it's time for me to go home." So, yeah, no kidding. So, how many years at that point? Five years. I spent Whoa. five years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. Very interesting. And, uh, uh, I don't regret a bit of it. Yeah. Uh, had a good time. And it was, it was a way for me to stay in contact, involved with the military. I've never yeah. gotten that, that out of my blood. And, so when you go back, is this where you find that, un, that unique niche in reserves and some of the federal law where you've been doing work there, which is a fascinating lesson learned this morning over breakfast? Yeah. Uh, that's interesting because I, you and I talked a little bit about it at breakfast, and uh, I came back, and a good friend of mine uh, just retired from the National Guard and took over as uh, the paid employee because uh, of the employer support of the Guard and Reserves, right. ESGR. And ESGR is a an office of the Secretary of Defense, under the Secretary of Defense. See, I've never heard that. Yeah, before. it's, it's yeah. weird. It's And it's all volunteer except... Uh, every state has in territory has an ESGR organization, uh, and usually there's Texas. I think may have three, but most states have one. I don't know what they call. Yeah, well, Texas is so big. Yeah, in uh, <laughs> California, I think has probably the same as Texas. Yes, but they have one full time person. The rest of them are all volunteers. So uh, the mission of ESGR is to educate service members. That's guard and reserve. And employers on the law USERA, the Uniform Services Employment Reemployment Rights Act. And this is and critical, particularly these days when so what, many reserves and National Guard users are going to combat and coming back. Unbelievable! Yeah. Uh, that's what I was doing Saturday. Sure, uh, we brief the USERA to service members and their spouses or families prior to them uh, deploying and when they come back. So this unit that I briefed on Saturday had been 10 months uh, at Guantanamo. They were an MP unit, Ooh. National Guard unit. Uh, and so uh, they'd been there for 10 months. 
so we talk about what their responsibilities under the law is and what the responsibilities of the employer is, uh, like getting your job back. Uh, if you can't don't get the exact job, then it's equal pay and equal status of what you left. Uh, your benefits remain. If you're a, your seniority, if you left and you had five years with your company and a year later you come back, you now have six years. You didn't lose that year. Uh, making sure your health uh, care starts again, yada, yada. And if there are issues, if there is a problem that a, that a service member has with his employer uh, because of his service to the country, then he can uh, either call an 800 number or go through our website, www.esgr.mil, uh, and submit a request for a case to be filed with ESGR. And that time frame is pretty tight. Yeah, well, it really is. When we get, when that, uh, you know, it's you have to make it through Washington. Everybody's like, oh, gosh, we'll never hear that again. Well, in this case, <laughs> it's not true because they pass that referral information on to the state director of the state in which the service member works. Not necessarily lives, but where right. they work. Sure, that's what's critical. Uh, yeah. So, um we have 48 hours to contact that service member and find out what's going on so we can begin right. to assist them. Uh, and once we have determined what the case is, then if it's termination or loss of pay, uh, then we have seven days to resolve it. If it's any other item, like uh, I didn't get my promotion, I didn't get my benefits, we have 14. Now, in the state of Tennessee right now, and I happen to be the state director of ombudsman, so I have 14 ombudsmen throughout the state of Tennessee that work with me. Uh, we are about 85% uh, of the time we resolve that problem. Really? If for some reason we can't, in other words, we, we'll go and we're, we're not taking sides of the service member. Our job to is be, to educate. You hear both sides. That's exactly right. So we're, what happens, I mean, like if you find yourself – on one hand, you got Walmart as an employer going, I've got a problem with Walmart. Compared to, on the other hand, you got Joe Bipp, the rag man, and his wife running Joe Bipp's rag service. That can really get a little bit more dicey for you in terms of trying to, well, and it, for the company is carrying that burden. You're exactly right. Uh, you know, we uh, a Walmart, if they lose an employee for a year uh, and have to replace them with somebody, uh, it's not big on their their right. agenda it's not going to affect them that much but joe blows welding service that has three employees and Ooh. you're going to take away one of them for a year that's rough and you got to pay the all law, the benefits and everything while they're gone well now that's that now that's not true okay a a company can uh -huh. decide to provide health care can provide salary can do other things for the service member while they're gone. The law doesn't require them to do anything. Oh, is that right? Yes. The, See, I'm learning something here yeah. myself. <laughs> well, the law basically says that uh, when you return, you get your benefits back. Right. Now, I, again, there are, I don't think Walmart, uh, they may do, some of them will pay com their complete salary while they're gone. Yeah. Some of them will make the difference. If you're a E5, sure. uh, you know, Joe Snuffy, 
uh, making a, not, not a whole lot uh, as an E5 in the, in the military. And maybe he was an executive at Walmart, you know, right. they'll make up the difference. So, but that's up on them. They do not have to do anything other than that, other than make sure that uh, they can't terminate them while they're gone. Uh, we have a number of situations, number of cases will work. Uh, they'll uh, call uh, and, or write the service member and say, I'm sorry, you, you know, you're not going to have a job when you get back. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we intervene. If we aren't able to resolve it, then we give the service member the name of the uh, DOL, Department of Labor. Uh, it's called a DOL vet. They're the ones with the hammer. They're the ones with the hammer. You're exactly right. So most companies, they don't want to hear from the Department of Labor. No. So that's us saying, we're going to resolve this. We're going to help you resolve it. If we can't, we have to turn it over to the Department of Labor. We'll turn you loose. Yeah, oh, so, man. So anyway, it's, it's, it's a way for us to stay involved with the military, but it's also a way to to give back uh, to our country. Indeed. So it's like, to me, that sounds like a major give back after uh, how many, 37 years? 37 years, years yeah. In the service, and then now, how many years have you been doing this? Uh, I'm on 11, I believe. 11 now. Yeah. So 37, 11, that's about 48 in my yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah, and it all began uh, <laughs> after a little tour of duty with first group and then a tour right. of duty in SOG running hatchet force missions and uh that's i'd never heard that before about a hatchet force going out and then having recon teams to sneak off inserting on the most yeah. clandestine way it was like really i said cool. i don't know like, that was like the a, only time or not like a stay behind mission yes almost. yes you drop I, them i believe that's what they called it yeah if i remember right now that you say that stay behind yeah I'm not, i don't know what i'm talking about but i'm guessing well, that but sounds, it sounds right and it worked so um at this point in time, sir, uh, would there be any other little interesting tidbits or closing thoughts here as we head down the final trail to get you back on going back to East Tennessee, your RON? <laughs> well, I will say that uh, I've always felt uh, that I don't have a whole lot of heroes, but all SOG recon men are heroes to me. Uh, what they did, what they uh, experienced, uh, the uh, unbelievable courage that it took to do what they did uh, in the face of, of hundreds sometimes of enemy is unbelievable. And uh, you guys, I'll never forget you. I, I, I just feel a very small little part for being able to one of those guys that helped support that kind of thing. Well, from run recon guy to a hatchet force, I said I never wanted to do hatchet force duty because you're big enough to go out and raise hell for a little while but it's not really big that you can go overrun an enemy. You draw a lot of attention, <laughs> a lot of attention. So, do you, so did you. So, <laughs> And uh, so I think we'll close on that note, sir. And, oh, you're also a member of the Special Operations Association. Oh, I'm and glad you've done you some, said that. You've done some fundraising there with a unique group, the SOA yes, Riders. That's exactly right. I, how soon we forget. I I. I and I guess some reason, or Mr. Some, Director, I should say, Mr. Director. Yeah. <laughs> uh, about uh, let's see, in 2019, I believe it was probably around June, July, September. Uh, our director of Tom the SO writer, Tom Carroll, passed away unexpectedly. Yeah, great man had really done an unbelievable job of maintaining the Special Operations Association Riders, which is a group of uh, motorcycle riders that meet once a year uh, at some place in the United States. 
uh, we uh, usually, well, we always, we always uh, have a ceremony at usually a Vietnam memorial uh, in the area, uh, but uh, certainly a veterans memorial, and we honor the missing from SOG, uh, both uh, the both the direct uh, guys and the support guys. And right now, I believe the number's 131, if I remember right. Yeah, the total number is about 50 recon, then 80-plus aviators. So, so the aviators include everything from uh, Marine Corps gunships, uh, Scarface, for example. Then we have uh, hundreds of units from the right. Army. 101st Comancheros, the... Uh, um, Hornets, Green Hornets. The Green Hornets were down south. Yep. Primo, and that's, uh, of course, that's the Air Force. People forget that we actually had Air Force yep. that was the main support unit down south. We had the 195th down there yep. that made historic uh, runs and medal awards for valor there. And then a, a, across the fence, of course, Cambodia, you, you couldn't have spads. Yeah. But we had them and then fast movers. But all those that were, that were now today listed as missing in action. So 131. And that number is part of the 1,584 Americans today from the war in Vietnam that are still formally listed as missing in action. That includes the Secret War, where we have our 131. And then uh, for Vietnam, both North and South, Cambodia and Laos, they got a couple from Thailand and the aviators, and they got two or three and somehow landed in China. Huh. But it's all part of the MIA story that uh, for now, of course, in the early part of the Vietnam War, early 1970, when you were there, it was the first time American families petitioned the enemy, the communists of North Vietnam, to treat our American POWs better. Yep. And since then, we've had the National League of POW MIA families, which has advocated both with the communists and the American government to do more to bring them home and Amen. you're right getting back to the soa riders they have conducted fundraisers for over a decade and they've raised thousands of dollars that donated to the soa for uh operation bright light for the scholarship fund where there are recon guys and hatchet force members and other aviators that mm-hmm. are members of the soa now so they are eligible for scholarships and the bright light uh, committee which is one where they raise money to help a member attend the reunion, the annual reunions. Of course, last year, the China virus knocked us out of the box. Yeah, it certainly did. They did a a Zoom, which is a little different, but the next year, this year, 2021, there'll be the SOA reunion from 18 to the 21st or 22nd. 22nd, and then the the SFA. At the Orleans, and the same day, the 22nd, the SFA, Mm -hmm. the Special Forces Association, will uh, have this union the first time and they're doing a motorcycle run there will be a motorcycle run and jocko willink is billed as one of our guest speakers for the sfa reunion so again we'll wrap up on a positive note we thank jocko for sponsoring us today and thank you marcus for coming out of your way to be our guest here thank you for being asked absolutely and as we close we uh as always we pay homage to today's service members both for all of our armed services, first responders, uh, any of our government officials that are protecting our borders these days. And uh, we continue to pray for them. And uh, the Border Patrol, I think, is earning its pay. 
Amen. under these new challenges today. But we pray for them all, and uh, we'll conclude by saying, God bless America. Amen. We want to thank Marcus Witt for being with us today, and his story was different. It's another story of men that served in SOG, unique angles, and with me is my mystery mystery technician who today will go by Tomas. We cannot reveal anything further about the mystery man. But mystery man, what's your reaction to our command sergeant major story? It's definitely, uh, it was definitely a switch from the, you know, all the guys we've done previous to this with them being involved in recon. And, you know, so getting that different glimpse, uh, the way, you know, and you see the admiration, which is, which is funny. You see that admiration that between uh, uh, Mike Force and then to, to the the recce elements, you know, to the RTs. So yeah. that, that's nice to see. But I, I love his stories. Um, definitely like the infill, you know, uh, how they did that. And uh, I yeah, can, I'd never heard that before for uh, for SOG. We had talked about it up north, and I know there are some teams that did stay behinds where they had two teams that would go in and then, or like with Elder Barswell once, they went in with the team and then they made it appear as though they were extracted and they stayed behind. Right. And that, I mean, makes perfect sense, right? They see you coming in, yeah. all these people, hopefully, especially there, the jungle's so thick. Can you really see how many people yeah. are you making estimations? Like, oh, it looked like it was 50. But maybe it, Maybe it was 30, but we can't really tell. So we'll yeah. say 50 just to be on the heavy side. Well, all of a sudden later, it's like, well, no, maybe it was 30, you know? Yeah. But hey, six guys just dropped off of somewhere and they don't know <laughs> it. I mean, because you think about all the noise you make in that size of an element walking through. And then if you just all of a sudden slide off to the side, <laughs> lay down and just wait. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> wait until everything is gone. And, you know, you just stay there for a couple hours or whatever. You whatever. know, hopefully nobody walks on you. But, yeah. you know, if you're there and you just split off and now all of a sudden it's quiet. And then if the enemy moves through, you can get an assessment on that and then move on through. Well, know. yeah. one like, and, and Marcus, like everybody else we've talked to, the hardest thing is sometimes to get them to talk about themselves. Yeah, it, it is hard. And it's, they're so modest and down to earth about it. It's kind of like, well, yeah, I was here. I did that. And yeah, I was in Iraq. We were there when they launched. And even the support element, if you're still there, that's you're me. I'm there. like going, do you know where I was the day they kicked <laughs> off? I was right there or, you know, something like that. I mean, it's that moment in time. Yeah. But you, it, when you've done it as long as he has, what was it? 48, 48 years. years yeah. In, you know, dealing with the military one way or the another, either being in, you know, or being a contractor working with. It's like, you know, after a while, it's just, you know, did I yeah. do anything? What? No, nah, it wasn't really even big. Yeah, going through all that time in service and mm-hmm. then helping the uh, National Guard troops and reserves. That's, that's such a a vital volunteer yeah, position. Definitely. And 11 years. Yes, yeah. I, I've done it for 11 years. Really? <laughs> I didn't even know what it was, but it's a, <laughs> it's a service that is, you know, like we said very briefly during the, the, the uh, podcast, which was, you know, so many thousands of our Americans have served from the guard you know my stepson went in yep. with the reserves and got attached to third id got blown right. up with third id thanks to some dumbass lieutenant <laughs> that sent him out and uh but yeah and what their full benefits are and right. working with the employers on issues 
and then having a success rate of 85% of the cases that come to them, they get them resolved before they go to the heavy hammer yep. and DOL, the Department of Labor. And I think a lot of companies actually do, you know, they're not that way. Like uh, back in the day when I was with a company um, with Verizon, I'll say it, they, uh, they were paying, they paid mine and made me whole and gave me benefits for three years. No kidding. Yeah, while I was in, uh, you know, when I made the crossover and was doing some stuff, yeah, they they were literally paying me, so I was still receiving a military check, and I was receiving that check plus I was receiving the benefits, um, you know, so it, which was really good. I, I think that's an outstanding, you know, solution. Small businesses, that's a hard pill to swallow for a small business. Oh, I can't but, imagine. You know, the fact that I think they would be more willing to work with you. You know, I can't see companies saying, well, I'm sorry, you're gone for a year, so you're fired. It's like, you can't do that to these guys. You know, they don't, yeah, they volunteered to join this. And yes, they volunteered to go into this and knowing they could deploy. But really, you're going to just, you're going to kick yeah. them out. You know, it's, it, I guess, I, you know, I guess I could relate it to like my dad's stories of when he came back from Vietnam. And it's like, I guess it's the same thing. Hey, you got drafted. You're going to Vietnam. And when yeah. you come home. Everybody will hate you. Yes. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. I didn't go there voluntarily. <laughs> you know, or I did. Yeah. But it's like, really? How, why are we going to look at that? You know, these guys are out there. Uh, you guys were out there doing these things, you know, protecting our freedom, doing these missions that nobody else would really ever want to do. <laughs> you know, or even in the right mind. I think there would or, be, yeah. you know, Sigmund Freud would be sitting there going, so tell me a lot about your mother, why you'd want to do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got to be something. <laughs> but at the um, same point, like, it's good. I think that was a, uh, his, his story, Marcus's story is great. Uh, knowing that he went from, <laughs> from SOG. Oh, yeah. All the way through Iraq. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah. And then, you know, I, and again, I'm biased because uh, I've been a member of the SOA now for 30 plus years. And the SOA riders have been one of the great volunteer groups, and they've done those rides. I mean, we're talking major donations, thousands of dollars. And over the years, they're probably now they're over $100,000 donated. That's my awesome. Estimate. If I'm free on June 9th, I'm definitely going to yeah. I'm gonna definitely try and get out there to that ride up in Wisconsin. Up since, in Wisconsin. You know, we'll go see, what, see what it's like. Ride amongst the cheese heads. Exactly. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring you back some cheese. They're not going to ride during the football season because they know where everybody's going to be. <laughs> yeah, they'll all be in the house or at the stadium. <laughs> Indeed. There's no traffic jams exactly. on football day. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, any other fine points here we should cover with Marcus? No, I think uh, I think that was good. I, it was it was nice to hear a different uh, a different side. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the hatchet force, man. Yeah. And, yeah, and we're, see and, more about that. And so in the weeks and months ahead, We'll be interviewing more SOG men, which we will include Hatchet Force, because there are other Hatchet Force teams, one of which we had in the book on the ground, where the Hatchet Forces on the ground made heavy contact for several days. Everybody gets extracted. The last bird taking the team leader out, in this case, is David Gordon, and this was 69 October or September of 69, Helicopter gets shot down mm-hmm. on extraction. Was that the one on the end of the river? No. Okay. This was another one with um, where the uh, Lynn Black with Idaho went in. 
and he had a medic Williams that was a strap hanger incredible medic and he was great in the jungle and Captain On the King Bee pilot inserted them at night and he's able to get that King Bee down so the team got on the ground so Lynn was there would help Sal the team for Idaho and then the strap hanger Williams who was just a phenomenal medic and they went in they found the uh, hatchet force team leader with a broken back oh. so dave gordon they got him out they never knew each other he never knew who rescued him yeah lynn black in idaho did not know who they had who rescued, they rescued who they got him out and gosh it was over 30 years later um when we were working on the book for on the ground you know Dave Gordon, I knew Dave because he was a member of the SOA. Right. He came up to me and goes, you know, I was on a hatchet force. I got shot up really bad. And uh, I was just, uh, I, I didn't think we were ever going to get out of here. I said, but this, this recon team came in and they pulled us out. I never knew who it was. I go, <laughs> really? And I was interviewing Lynn for the book, for the second book. We went yeah. back and we were talking to him. I said, you know, we had this hatchet force. I said, didn't you do a night bright light or something like that? I forget how the exact cover. <laughs> so the bottom line was at the reunion, uh, we got a picture in the book of Dave, Lynn yeah. meeting, meeting Dave. For the first, second time. Yeah, yeah. The first time, it was too dark. They couldn't see. There's no facial recognition or anything. It's just like, get my broken, me and my broken back out broken of here. Out and of they here. did. And the wow. medic, Mike, uh, I th- my, Williams is his last name. I don't want to misp- misspeak here off this spur of the moment he went on to be a doctor that's awesome just an amazing guy yeah he's down in texas somewhere now but i nice. uh, gotta give him a call but those are that's another story that's a hatchet for a story with a yeah with a unique spin to it so mm-hmm. we will uh in closing we most sincerely thank all of our service members for defending our country and lands far and near and we thank all the first responders and all of our federal agencies that are working to protect our country. God bless America. Until next time, we're out. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.